Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today from Australia is Y Lu. Hey, Y. Hey. Hey, Sean. Hey, Don. Good. Good. So uh, things warming up for you down there? You're coming into spring. We're going into fall. Yeah, yeah. I was actually just out out the other day just with shorts on, t-shirt and shorts. So that's a bit of a relief. So, although I'm getting really bad hay fever now. You guys get hay fever wherever you are? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have real bad, bad grass allergies. And no, ironically, right now, I don't look as weird when I mow my lawn. Because before, even before, you know, COVID, I used to yeah. wear a mask to you know, <laughs> keep all the grass out of my my lungs and face and nose and things like that. And so, you know, I looked yeah. kind of funny out there mowing along with that. Now I just <laughs> normal. <laughs> and now you just feel like you're a responsible person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So our guest today is Torius Litvinovicius. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great and I'm glad to be here. All right. Do you ever have trouble just getting into the flow? You find that your tool is great, like Visual Studio, but you could just get more out of it or get some stuff out of your way or have it give you better feedback that you would be able to get into flow easier? Well, let me tell you about Code Rush. Code Rush actually solves this problem for you. So the first thing that it does is it actually gives you a visualizer on the way that the code is set up, and it actually helps you debug stuff in an intuitive way that makes it easy for you to figure out what's going on. This really helps me stay in the flow when I'm trying to write code. Another thing that it does is it has a whole bunch of navigation options that you can get used to. Now, this is something that I figured out with Emacs was something that I really got into. So when I started using Emacs, just the key bindings and, and kind of the natural flow of things made me a much, much more efficient programmer. And the quick navigation in Code Rush is awesome. You should definitely try it out. They have code analysis, so they'll pick out some of the issues maybe for complexity or diagnose some other code issues. It'll point out code smells. It'll help you refactor your code. So the code analysis is another thing where I don't have to actually go in and sit down and think, okay, have I made any mistakes in this code? Because it actually highlights them. And finally, it just validates like your code coverage and all of the other things that you're trying to look at and gives you real numbers and real feedback on the quality of your coding and the quality of your tests. So go check out Code Rush. You can get it at devexpress.com slash products slash Code Rush, or just go to devchat.tv slash Code Rush and it'll send you to the right place. Once again, that's devchat.tv slash Code Rush. Well, why don't you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do, where you live, what kind of things got you into .NET development? Well, I do at the moment mostly courses, online courses, video courses, C-sharp related topics, .NET Core, and, and just .NET stuff in general. So I do those courses. I obviously do some development as well from time to time. I can't just uh, teach something that I do not use. So I do try to do even the smallest projects, uh, which do become quite useful in terms of experience for these particular courses. So again, I create courses, I gain some various kinds of experience. Uh, I try to expose myself as much as possible to various new technologies, perhaps even older technologies. It doesn't really matter, but as, as much of that variety as possible. And then with that experience, I try to share it with the others and explain what they need to learn and, and how to learn it and where to learn it and what to learn. Okay. So courses, you know, what are kind of some of the, the most popular courses 
that you found people are interested in learning with what's out there now? Well, in terms of what I do, I do have quite a range and I definitely see what sells and what doesn't in terms of at least of C-sharp stuff. And C-sharp, as we all know, is a vast language. You can do Windows applications, you can do APIs, you can do even front-end development now with Blazor. And you can also do all these add-ins for Microsoft Word, for Microsoft Excel. And I do have courses on probably most of these technologies. I do not have a course on Windows Forms, as I do not believe it would sell very well. And I just did not want to make that effort. But in, in terms of what people are interested, uh, Blazor is definitely one of those hot things right now. It, it has been for... Quite some time, I would say the main sort of growth was uh, maybe last year, um, last year autumn, so about a year ago, it started to really kind of gain some traction. And, uh, you know, I didn't just notice that through various forums and people talking about it and maybe on podcasts, but just in my sales of my courses and other stuff that I do. I did really notice that increase in, in terms of Blazor. So web development is obviously quite hot right now in general. Uh, you have all these different options going on, all these different frameworks. You know, I personally believe in C-sharp. I believe everything with C-sharp with Microsoft technologies is great and, and better than anything else. I did have a chance to work with Go programming language uh, quite extensively last year. And... It does have a sort of capability of creating APIs that go programming language in, in a more native way. You do not have to install some plugin or add-in or some third-party library, but it's nowhere near as convenient as C-sharp's .NET Core API development, where you just open the template, you have everything set properly. The code is very much readable. It's all great and good and easy to understand. So... I do believe this will catch on. I, I do believe there is uh, maybe a bit of a, a bad thinking about it from the past. Some people maybe want those open source things and uh, they somehow consider that C Sharp is or Microsoft whole thing is evil. I do notice that from time to time. People sort of distrust it for whatever reason it may be, but Personally, you know, I, I believe it's under one roof and under one giant roof, the whole C-sharp and the whole Microsoft thing. If you do web development, you can learn Blazor for the front end. You can learn .NET Core API development for the back end. And then you can connect that API also to a Windows application, maybe do something a bit more extensive, more handling of the files and things like that. So you have one language for the API, for one interface, for another interface, and then you also have SQL Server for your databases. And everything integrates smoothly. Everything comes from one place, from Microsoft, uh, and there's really no third party that needs to be involved in the whole process. So you can also have uh, Windows services. There is a new kind of a template on on Visual Studio, uh, I believe it's sort of called hosted service, something like that. I am not quite sure what it's called, but uh, it's, it's sort of a useful thing. It's a Windows service in general. You can run into such, uh, but it is 
not on .NET Framework, it is on .NET Core. So that's basically the, the new thing of it. I do believe it's actually easier to set up if, if you do want that sort of quick setup compared to the old Windows uh, servers. But uh, in the end of the day, you establish everything, you post it in your folder, you create a service, and you run a test service in, uh, in this Windows settings. Uh, is that the worker service? That may be the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used it a few times, but I can never remember the name properly. But yeah, that, that kind of rings the bell. So it's probably a worker service. Yeah, I was looking into one of those just this last week on one of the projects that I've been working on. So that's just the one thing that popped to my head. So how did you end up d- deciding on, you know, that you wanted to be a, a course creator for, for development as a, as a career? Well, you know, I, I didn't have a uh, some some specific moment for, for that, but I guess I was always looking for some new business opportunities. Uh, you know, try something new, consult something instead of maybe doing something myself. And um, somehow I tried to 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 do a course. I thought, why not? You know, I know what needs to be explained. And in fact, my first course was .NET Core API development course. Not this one, the latest one, the first iteration, we can call it. It was on a soft, rather poor quality microphone at that point. So the sound quality wasn't the best. But I did release it. Uh, I released it, and uh, it did get a few sales. So you know, from there, thought, why not? You know, it wasn't you know a lot of money on on that first course or anything like that. But I thought if it can stay for a year, it will sort of pay off. And uh, you know, I I looked into other things I know, and I developed a few more courses, and then more courses, and. You know, that's how I really got started. There's nothing too fancy about it, but, uh, you know, I just tried something. I tried a few more things. Uh, Some courses worked out. Some courses did not work out, you know. I believe I have a couple of courses that never got any sales at all. I mean, it's a complete zero, but, you know, if you don't take a risk, you don't uh, reap the rewards, uh, and that's how it goes. Can you you explain the process of, creating a course like do you do you plan it all out first and then and then do you use some sort of special software to record it yeah well i do plan it out i usually write out the curriculum of the course first so that i know what was happening uh say for example my blazer course i first cover the basics then i cover the navigation and i cover components and in those sections i have different lectures so it's a it's not a script by any means it's just uh, the curriculum for the course and uh, in fact i never work with a script i believe it is a waste of time and the kind of lectures i try to do i try to do everything on the go so i believe it's uh, it's a bit more exciting, first of all, but also if I notice something interesting that I did not think of uh, before doing the lecture, I can actually mention it. Now, if I had a script, I would probably not be able to do that. It's very difficult to kind of go out of the script and then get back inside the script. So I never use a, a script as such, uh, but I usually prepare the code prior to the lecture. Uh, so I prepare that 
piece of code, that uh, example code before I record. And I used to do mostly these lectures where I actually type it all in and talk about it while I was doing that. But now I usually just talk about code that's already written. I think it does consume less time for, for the learner. It's a bit quicker. But, you know, some people do like that slower paced course and you really can't satisfy everyone. But, you know, I, I try to, sometimes I do mix it up, especially if I do an example, a simple example. So I'll type it in as I'm talking about it. But usually if it's more complex piece of code, uh, and that's lately what I've been doing, I will prepare the piece of code and then I'll talk about it. I'll explain about each aspect of it, each method, each variable or whatever needs to be explained in that piece of code. And I do use, of course, a recording software. I actually use this one called OBS Studio. It's it's free one, I think. I use then another one for editing that's not exactly free. But uh, it's, it's, it's a good one. It's a sort of, uh, sort of a budget option. But I guess if you're going to do a video and you're not uh, a professional editor, you really do not need some fancy tool set. Uh, you know, I use this uh, VSDC. It's called editing tool. And uh, it's really great. There are many advanced features which I never use. You know, I just don't have the time to, to spend on, on those uh, implementations. And I actually did a very quick course uh, some time ago on on using this VSDC tool. You know, the reason I did that point, uh, you know, in, in general, you find these different courses and about these video editing things, and uh, they are for professionals. We want to turn you into professionals. Why did I try something very basic? Uh, you know, just to show people how to cut the videos, how to add zoom in, zoom out effects and uh, basic things like that, just with very basic explanations. And some people like that. Some people in the reviews do say that they want something a bit more advanced. But, you know, in the end of the day, I tried to make something basic and uh, I do believe I succeeded in that regard. Are there some key elements that make a course a good course? And how long, how long is a typical course, you know, for somebody to take? Well, the course length, first of all, it really depends on the topic. Uh, I have courses that are an hour long. I have courses that are several hours long. I'm not sure which one is the longest. I do believe I have one that's five hours long in terms of the video content. Uh, now, some courses will have exercises and then the solutions for exercises, so Obviously, if you are going to take the exercise or you're going to try to make that program, it will take a, a lot longer for you to actually get through the whole course. But, you know, that's really the point to, to, to take the course and to actually practice. Uh, but then again, I, I don't always do these exercises for my courses. It really depends on the topic, on, on how vast it is and how maybe advanced it is. Sometimes it is quite quite difficult to actually establish an exercise when the tool in question is extremely basic or at least somewhat basic. I did a course on Postman, for example. That's a tool with which you can access your APIs, basically send requests, retrieve them, and establish documentation if you need that. The course about an hour long. It explains how each feature is accessed, uh, where to find everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good course when you really need it. So you find a, 
a gig or a job and uh, someone says you'll be using Postman and you, you have no clue how to use it. So you take that course, an hour long, and you're free to go. There's no confusion. Everything works perfectly. You can interact with your colleagues, uh, talk about it. Everything is great. And most of your courses are on, on Udemy, is that right? Yes, most of my courses would be on Udemy. I've been trying to expand around. So, of course, uh, .NET Core API development course is available on Manning. I think it's a very nice uh, platform. We have this nice, basically, place where you watch the video. You know, it's, it's, I do believe it looks better than most of, of the tools out there. You know, just a very nice video player. It seems quite quite easy to watch as, as much as I had the chance to watch anything on there. But uh, uh, yeah, most of my courses are new to me. I have some other places where I do host. I do some courses, some parts of the courses uh, on Skillshare as well. You know, I, I try to expand as much as, as possible. I don't want to stay in one place and one uh, in one platform, and uh, I try to do that uh, as much as I can. How is you to hey be? Guys. Yeah. Hey. Hey, hey sorry. Sorry, hey, I'm late. Uh, hey. Uh, I had a client meeting. You guys know how those go. Yeah, so. and you also <laughs> have a hurricane, right? Yes, it's gonna. This one's gonna miss us too. New Orleans has been very lucky this year. Are you uh, getting rained on right now? We're getting heavy winds. Expected to have rain later tonight. But yes, I'm here. I made it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I hear you guys are talking about making uh, developer courses or courses for developers. That's right. good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was asking you, Torish, how is Udemy to work with from an author's, you know, a creator's standpoint? Well, Udemy is it's a platform, you know, it's a platform where you publish your course. It's a tool. It's not, uh, you know, you don't really directly work with the company itself. So it's, it's a tool, it's a giant tool. And uh, if you're starting out with this uh, course developments, you should probably go with Udemy. It's probably the largest, actually not probably, it is the largest platform for, for courses. And if you can get any sales, you probably will be able to get some sales through that platform. And then obviously you can expand into, into other places. But, you know, places like Manning and uh, some other companies, uh, you actually have to interact with them. You talk with them, they maybe improve your descriptions and, and do your marketing properly. Udemy, again, it's, it's a platform. I can't really say something too bad about it. But in the end of the day, it is just a platform and it won't look after you. You know, it's, it's, it will look after itself. Is there any kind of a screening process or can anybody put a course up there? I believe anybody can put a course up. I think you have to send like an introductory video if, uh, when you register at first. Again, I, I, I don't remember this anymore. You know, it's been some time, but... I, I do believe you have to send a video sort of introduction of yourself. I guess you have to verify your identity or something like that. Uh, I'm not quite sure. And then you just publish it and they review the course. But I'm not sure what the review is supposed to be on. The, we do have some very strict promotion guidelines. You can't put affiliate links in, the, in those courses. You can't put uh, basically many things. And I think the review process of the actual course is basically 
for those reasons, you know, so that you wouldn't promote something and then you wouldn't do something like that. They don't really seem to check on quality. You know, I, I believe I had a few incidents where I released a course with duplicate videos for basically two lectures and duplicate video for, for both of them where it should be a different one. And uh, it went through a review process. And then I believe I received a review saying that or someone sent me a message, you know, so that review process uh, did nothing good uh, in that regard. And um, so I, again, I I just think they they just check for those affiliate links or maybe something like that, and then they do take like three days now since the February. I think they take like six days to to, to review the course, but I'm not really sure what they do there. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it: the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out ray gun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresin.net.com slash Raygun. I actually, I own a few courses on Udemy and also have a Pluralsight subscription. How would you compare the two, right? Because Pluralsight is strictly for developers and Udemy is anything and everything, right? Yeah, well, Udemy, I think you'll find more choices. Pluralsight, I think, you know, on, on platforms like Pluralsight, on platforms like Manning as well, you will find good quality courses, but you won't find as much choice for those courses. You know, if you go on Udemy, you'll find probably at least five courses on Blazor, at least five courses on SQL Server, and you can choose between them. And, uh, you know, I always say just because the course is good for uh, one person, it will not be good for another person. It, It depends on many things, on how fast the person speaks, what the accent is, and even what the person looks like. You know, if, if someone hates the way you look, um, you, you just can't do anything about it. And, you know, I always try to dress as well as I can and do all those different things. But, uh, you know, if someone hates suit and tie, then they probably won't enjoy my course and they'll probably leave me a one-star review. But there's just nothing you can do about that. What, what about the time, like, how much expertise do you need to to do one of these courses and how much time do you spend researching before you start? Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult to say about such specifics on uh, on, on time. Uh, you know, it really depends on, on each course. Some courses are very smooth, very quick. You just kind of know what to do. You know, you write one code example, you record it, everything flows through smoothly. But Sometimes, you know, you'll do maybe 80% of a course 
everything smooth, but then there will be one single topic where the code example crashes all the time and nothing works. And, you know, the whole process might take five hours, but that one little piece might take another 20 hours to do. But uh, in general, I don't really calculate how many hours I work or, uh, you know, do any kind of time management in, in, in that regard. Uh, I don't believe in doing that. You know, in a, in a way, we are creating art here and you have to let yourself find time to think about it, uh, relax a bit, you know, get your thoughts together. You can't rush these courses and... Uh, uh, you know, you, you can't uh, do it in, in that sort of rushed kind of a way. You just have to take your time and, and see see how it goes. Whatever happens, happens. And I really can't predict how much time one course or the other will take. Obviously, on, on some more simple tool, it might be a bit quicker. But then again, if, you, if you're dealing with uh, registrations, uh, maybe some third-party integration where you have to download something, it will be a bit more troublesome to record, especially if you're working on a semi-live platform. So you might need to hide some passwords or emails or things like that uh, in, in the post-production, if we can even call it that. And, you know, it will take a lot more time, even though it's a very basic thing, uh, something that can be very smooth. But once you start needing to, to hide all those things and edit all those things, it can become a lot more troublesome. Do you do your uh, write your own scripts and handle your own video editing or do you outsource? Well, as I mentioned previously, I, I don't use a script at all. I just uh, use the code piece, code example as, as a sort of script for me. But in terms of editing, yes, I do my own editing. You know, I, I, I don't believe there would be too much more value added if, if I hired someone. And it would probably take just as much time as I would do it myself. Uh, you know, at this point, I know how to do it somewhat properly. I'm not calling myself a professional by any means, but uh, I do know how to do it and I can do it. And uh, if I had to explain to someone what needs to be done, it would just take more time in, in terms of management. It wouldn't be a very good deal. So let's talk a little bit about one of your courses. And I, I think what you were mentioning earlier before we started recording was your uh, .NET Core API course and discussions. And What's kind of the some important points for people to know about writing APIs in .NET Core? Well, first of all, the whole idea is quite simple. There is no need to overcomplicate things. Now, in this course, uh, I start with sort of basic arrangements, how to send data, basically retrieve the sent data from that uh, HTTP request, how to access all the query elements, uh, the headers, uh, the body in different ways. Uh, and uh, .NET Core API basically offers something quite great in terms of uh, accessing JSON body. You do not have to actually deal with it. You simply deal with it in the parameters of that method, action method, whichever word you prefer. And, you know, it, it's all quite basic. It's all quite easy to use. Now, I get into some other things such as action filters for security measures. And uh, then I explain dependencies, uh, dependency injection, all those services and things like that. And in a very simple manner, because it's a simple thing, you know, it's, it, it does not have to be 
overcomplicated like uh, I find most people do. You know, you'll see so much code that handles one tiny procedure. You'll see maybe three .cs files that will handle only one simple procedure. Say data comes into the API and gets inserted into the database. And then you'll find all these handlers that don't even work. There is no need to do that. You know, you don't have to overcomplicate things. And that's why I always try to do, well, it's uh, try to explain with uh, this .NET Core API or Blazor or whatever else it may be. You know, there's no need to overcomplicate things. Uh, but again, in the course itself, I start with the basics, explain the basics quickly. Then I get into some dependency injections, action filters, which is quite important if you're going to do your security measures, uh, maybe check for some access token before the request comes into that uh, action method. And then finally, I have a little example. It's, it's quite complex, uh, but it is quite usable. It's uh, basically an account system. So we have uh, registration, login, and then authorization of, uh, of these different uh, API routes. Um, now, the example does not include um, any kind of a front-end interface, but it does include some interactions with databases just so we can actually feel the example as something somewhat real-world. And, you know, I provided this example uh, in hopes, basically, that it would be not only something to look at, but so that people could actually use it in their own projects. Because you can copy it, paste it, make a few additions, deal with your maybe email or phone verification and, and things like that, and implement it in your own project. It's a very usable piece of code. And it's not a library where you can't change anything. It's a, a normal piece of code. It's, um, I believe, structured quite properly and uh, for anyone who wants to copy and, and use it in their own projects, it should be quite simple or relatively simple at least to, to do so. So this example is using Web API and then you're connecting to the database using, I'm guessing, Entity Framework. And then it has no front end, so you're just, you're just calling it with... Post. Right. So the example, no. So the example, again, I try to keep everything basic. So I always use Adonet. I don't use Entity Framework. I'm not fond of it. Uh, it's just a very simple kind of a procedure. You know, uh, all, all that code is uh, prepared for, for the database connections and things like that. All the procedures are created properly. And, so what, uh, are you, what are you using to connect to the database instead of Entity Framework? It's Adonet. ADO.net? Yeah. Oh, yeah, ADO.net, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So what are some of the differences with writing APIs for .NET Core versus full framework? Well, I mean, .NET Core, it's just simple to access. You know, I, I can't really compare it too much with something else. But basically, you know, what I can say, if you have Visual Studio, if you know how to use C Sharp, what you will do to create an API, you'll open Visual Studio, you'll create new project, API project, and you'll have your API pretty much laid out. You'll have your controllers, that is basically a class file, fancy class file, and in that you'll have your action methods, where you'll have the routes above the action methods, and you know quite clearly where the data goes and, and comes out from. So one other thing you also talked about that I thought was somewhat interesting before we started recording was 
integrating with Stripe. We haven't had anybody on the show talk about integrations with external companies before, especially something like Stripe. That sounds pretty interesting. What's that like? You know, what's it take to, to do something like that? Well, it is surprisingly quite easy. So the basic integration, the course I have, and I actually implemented it in in a couple of uh, real-world life projects um, about uh, Stripe integration. And it it does work. It does work quite properly. Uh, Basically, we're talking about Stripe checkout. Okay, so you you have your own system which handles uh, what happens after payment that the Stripe checkout is this page to which you redirect the user. You create a session, you redirect the user to that Stripe checkout page, and then they come back. Now, during that whole interaction with Stripe checkout, it will send a hook to your own system, so that will be handled by the API. Now, the good thing in terms of uh, .NET Core API development, .NET Core API, is, uh, is that you can actually quite easily integrate that Stripe API, that Stripe library, I should say. There is a proper Stripe library for C-sharp, and uh, you can integrate that quite easily. But the whole procedure basically is from Blazor side, you send a request to your API. Then in your API, you, you deal with the sort of initial setup with a pay- of a payment, and then that creates a session with the Stripe. So the session is on Stripe database. The sort of initial payment is recorded. It's not complete, right? And then it comes back with that little code into the Blazor. And then from Blazor, you just have to redirect to that Stripe checkouts page. And that's all the risk to it. So, you know, it's, it's not too troublesome. You don't have to create maybe some kind of a frame for, for some JavaScript thing. You don't need that, that sort of specific integration. You do need to, to use a bit of JavaScript. I don't want to say something specific that may be wrong, but you do need to reference the Stripe JavaScript library in, in that Blazor project and then basically make one execution of, of JavaScript function. And I think that function then redirects everything. So, you know, it's, it's not difficult at all. It's quite simple. There are, of course, many ways that you can integrate these uh, Stripe payments. They do have uh, quite a few options. But this checkout, I think, is the easiest one. It's the most convenient one. And more importantly, with that checkout, with a few changes, of course, in, in the back end and probably no changes in the front end, you can do subscriptions as well. So that, I believe, this is quite useful. You know, so you can do checkout for a sort of single payment and then checkout for, for subscriptions. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. I think we're good. Let's go on to picks. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, why? What's your pick? So this week's pick is an app called Ori that I discovered. So it's an app that tries to improve your communication skills. It's essentially like a game. It gives you kind of these impromptu speaking exercises and it kind of just records you and evaluates like 
how you speak. So how it counts how many filler words you use and how fast your speaking speed is and things like that. And it kind of just gives you a score. So yeah, I thought it was really interesting how using AI to try to improve your speech. So yeah. Cool. All right, you go ahead, Caleb. What's your pick? It's not a game. Not a game. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, but but you know, it is protect your house things. from the hurricane. Oh yeah. It is one of the other things I pick quite often, which are TV shows. And this one is actually The Boys Season 2 on Amazon. By the oh, time it is... Huh? Yeah, no spoilers, because I just started watching Season 2 that last Oh, time. no, no. No, <laughs> I, I'm going to keep it on. But but they, by the time this comes out, all the episodes will have been released. So if you want, you can binge them, if you haven't watched it already. But yeah, yeah no, the Season 1 was good. So. so for people that aren't familiar with The Boys at all... You know, give us the overview. The overview is it's based off a comic. And the comic is the idea that the so-called superheroes are actually, they work for mega corporations and they're more about themselves and their own needs than anything else. They're really villains in superhero costumes. So uh, it's interesting. I think yeah, I saw some previews of, yeah, some of that. Look kind of, <laughs> one of the one thing was a little disgusting where some guy who's ran by this couple and <laughs> it's dark yeah it's yeah, pretty it's dark pretty glory it's dark. yeah i wouldn't yeah. be showing it to you kids or anything. yeah no. okay no. all right pg-13 <laughs> no <laughs> it's it's much more closer to nc-17 <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay my pick this week is also gonna be a tv show and I, i'm watching it on netflix but it originally started out on mtv and that was for season one. And then it moved to Spike for season two. And the reason I want to have it for my pick this week is because Paramount bought Spike or MTV or something like that. And, and they'd end up canceling the show before they got to season three. And this show is, it's called the Shannara Chronicles. And it's based on some books, which were, were somewhat popular. And, but the first two seasons of the show, of the show were pretty good. But there's no season three on track right now. So I'm just hoping to spread the word, get people to watch the show, and hopefully Netflix or somebody will pick up and have you know, season three produced. Because right now, it's just they left the end of season two on, you know, kind of like a cliffhanger a little bit. And they put to be continued at the end of it. Well, oh, no. <laughs> there, is no, there is no to I, be um... continued. I think I, I've watched the first couple of episodes. It's a, it's a little cheesy. Yeah, right. I'll give you that. But, yeah. but if you like that, it's it's great, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Sean. You know what? I'm gonna watch the rest of season one and season two this weekend, and I'm gonna email Netflix. They need to <laughs> get off their butts and renew it. Just just you play. Back. You don't have to watch it. Just play it so we know <laughs> somebody was somebody was playing it. Just there you go. Put a repeat something like that. Yeah. All right, Taurus, you kind of heard our picks, our picks and have a sense of what they are. Or is, there, is there anything that you want to let our listeners know about that interests you today? Well, actually, you know, you had a bit of fun, but uh, I was thinking about something. I never made a sort of uh, public statement about uh, this kind of stuff. I always, uh, I've had a few interviews recently and uh, always discuss about programming and and, and mostly programming, and, and maybe I do make some controversial statements in, in that regard, but I will actually make a, a bit more of the controversial one, I think, today. And uh, I will pick 
Azure DevOps, and I will pick it over GitHub. Now, I believe, you know, this is the modern way to manage your projects, you know, and we have to we have to go into that modern arrangement where you have everything in one place, where you have a modern user interface. And I do believe Azure DevOps is the way to go. I think it's easier to access via Visual Studio. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot better than GitHub. I haven't used GitHub in... Uh, as long as I've been using uh, Azure DevOps, so probably more than two years, I'm free to use these uh, years and and other uh, numbers. You know, someone might call me out, but uh, you know, I, I do believe Azure DevOps is uh, the future of uh, management of of these development projects. All right. Well, they're they're both Microsoft owned, so I don't think there's any too much controversy there. So, yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for being on the show today. If there's listeners have any questions, is there a way to get in touch with you? Are you on Twitter or some other way? I am on LinkedIn. So I believe that's, that's the best way to get in touch with me if someone needs me. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate your time. And if the listeners want to get in touch with the show, they want to get in touch with me, they can reach out to me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> Caves are bad. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll yep. catch you, everybody. Thank you all. We'll catch everybody yeah. on the yep on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.